Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. Also joined with us are Scotty and Sandra Rollett. Good evening. Hey. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing pretty well. Fantastic. Ready to ready to dig into some Burgoff. Learn some stuff. Some awesome. Things. So, if you'd like to get to know more about Awakening Reformation podcast. We are a part of Rebel Alliance Media, so go to rebelalliancemedia.com. You'll find two other podcasts, Rebel Podcast, as well as Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. There are also blogs on the website, as well as teaching series. Please follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to us in iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We greatly appreciate it. We are in the middle of a series going through Louis Burkhoff's Manual of Christian Doctrine. Tonight we find ourselves in the section titled Man as the Image of God and in the Covenant of Works. I'm kind of excited for this one. I know, I'm really excited too. This is good stuff. I love me some covenant theology. I know, right? That's one of our favorites. It's the gateway drug. To baptizing your babies. Careful, guys. (laughs) All right. So the first section tonight is talking about man made in the image of God. In the discussion of the moral and spiritual condition of man, it is of utmost importance to consider, first of all, his original state. The two subjects that call for special consideration here are man as the image of God and man in the covenant of works. So man as the image of God. The terminology here is drawn from... Genesis 1, verse 26, 27, which says that God made man in his image and likeness. And Burkhoff says, some were of the opinion that the former, meaning image, referred to the body and the latter referred to the soul, likeness. Augustine held that they had reference respectively to the intellectual and to the moral qualities of the soul. Roman Catholics regard image as an indication of the natural gifts bestowed on man and quote-unquote likeness as a designation of the gifts with which he was supernaturally endowed, that is, his original righteousness. In all probability, however, the words are used as synonyms and both refer to the same thing, just from a different point of view. He's basically just saying that although there's a bunch of different views here, he's holding to that the image and likeness are referring to the exact same thing. They're interchangeable. Yeah, I think uh, Genesis 5, 1 through 2 kind of sums it up as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Starting in verse 1, uh, this is the book of Generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. Yeah. Bless them and name them man when they were created. So before we get into what that really means to be created in his image, I think it's good to point out what Burkhoff says at the end of this section. He says the doctrine of man's creation in the image of God is of the greatest importance for that image is that which is most distinctive in man. 
that which distinguishes him from the animals and from every other creature. As far as we know, even the angels do not share that honor with him. They certainly are not the image bearers of God in the sense and to the extent that man is. And this is why he called mankind the crown of creation. Right. In the previous chapter. Yeah. This is super helpful for today even to get these distinctions and the 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 hierarchy of mm-hmm. God's creation correct. Yep. Because we get this backwards all the time, which is what Romans 1 talks about where we worship creation rather than the creator and we start screwing up the creative order Mm -hmm. and we end up trying to save whales and but we're murdering our babies exactly Mm -hmm. it's a perfect way to put that we murder babies but we pour millions of dollars into saving well in all fairness we pour millions of dollars into both tasks murdering our babies and saving whales well but but here's the difference is that we'll tax people, take their money to kill babies, mm-hmm. but people are willingly yeah. giving up their money to Although save Although I think a people are pretty walrus. willing to give their money to kill babies as well. Well, there are some too, yes, but there are more people getting their money taken and this, from them. We could get into like stewardship conversations here, and that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Christians are commanded to take dominion and to cause flourishing in the earth. Right. We're not talking about that. We're talking that a human life is worth more than an animal's life because they are created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. Well, and that is the grounds for capital punishment in the story of Mm -hmm. Noah. When God says he will require man's blood if man's blood is shed because man is made in my image. Mm Mm-hmm. So obviously it's super important. Well, and it goes against the cultural mandate to murder someone. Yeah. Whether it be an infant in a mother's womb or uh, just another person. It goes against God's cultural mandate to create more image bearers. Not only are you not doing what God's telling you to do, you're not creating more image bearers. But now you're subtracting one. That's the opposite of flourishing. Yep. You're going exactly against what God told you to do, which is why it's so grievous. So... What is this image of God in man? He gives three historical conceptions of the image of God. And the first one he gives is the Roman Catholic view of what the image of God is. Roman Catholics believe that God at creation endowed man with certain natural gifts, such as the spirituality of the soul, freedom of the will, immortality of the body. These natural endowments constitute the image of God. In their view, in this purely natural condition of man. However, there was a tendency of the lower appetites and passions to rebel against the higher powers of reason and conscience. And then I'm going to skip down a little bit. He says, in order to enable man to hold his lower nature in check, however, God endowed man with a supernatural gift called original righteousness. And this original righteousness is supposed to constitute man's likeness to God. So with the Roman Catholic view, they're saying that there is, is it the original righteousness? Are they assuming the original righteousness that was given Adam uh, before the fall? Right. That is endowed within people, and that's the the likeness of God? Yeah, the likeness. So they separate image and likeness. So that righteousness technically was not lost, that... 
man still holds that it, with the Roman Catholic view. No, they they do believe that it was lost, but it's not. They definitely don't believe in total depravity. You know what I mean? Yeah. They believe in a because, like, where where he's saying is like in order in order to enable man to hold his lower nature in check, God endowed the supernatural gift called original righteousness. So this would mean that this original righteousness is still within man. By what I'm understanding, reading this, is that their their belief is that this original righteousness is still there, and that's what allows them to do good things. Well. Their sacramentalism comes into play with this, too, because they believe that... They have a lot more sacraments than we do. Well, yeah, but they believe baptism removes original sin, Mm -hmm. basically bringing a person back to the state where they can keep those lower appetites in check. They can. So bringing forth that righteousness. Hopefully working towards it, right? You're basically now giving them the option back. Yeah. But they believe that comes by by baptism when you're, you know, an infant. Which even the presbys look at and shudder. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole, it's a system fraught with error and bad exegesis, so. Yeah. Alright, so the next one is the Lutheran view. Uh, Lutherans are not all agreed as to what constitutes the image of God. The prevailing opinion, however, is that it consists only in those spiritual qualities that with which man was endowed at creation, and which are generally called original righteousness. So they keep on coming back to this uh, original righteousness, same as the the Catholics. Uh These qualities uh, consist in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. In taking this view of the matter, they do not sufficiently recognize the essential nature of man as distinct from that of the animals on the one hand and that of the angels on the other hand. That the image of God consisting in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness constitutes the very essence of man. The question arises, how can man lose his this image as he did by sin and still remain a man? Yeah, it would seem that when man sinned, he would cease to exist. If that's what mm-hmm. constitutes who he is, if he were to lose that, he would be lost. They're kind of working on absolutes. Yeah. But then with their distinction between animal and man, almost with the loss of the original righteousness, now you're just an animal. That That's the separation, was that original righteousness. Yeah. It, Animals didn't have it, man did. Lost it. Okay, now you're just an animal. It, Which does fit into an evolutionary worldview. <laughs> yeah, filthy animal. Um, it reminds me of Gnosticism, where they would emphasize the spiritual and the immaterial as mm-hmm. being better than the physical world. Yep. Um, that's kind of what it sounds like. Is this you know greater part of you this? righteous part of you is just the spiritual qualities of suppress you. anything like physical and yeah base mm-hmm. so anyway it's it's interesting and wrong and wrong interesting <laughs> wrong <laughs> interesting and yet still very wrong so the correct view right the reformed view is yes, next. because the, the correct reformed view that's right <laughs> i love being okay, smug in the reformed view they usually distinguish between the image 
of God in a restricted and the image of God in a more comprehensive sense. The former consists in the spiritual qualities with which man was created, namely true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, that these belong to the image of God. The image of God in the more comprehensive sense of the word is found in the fact that man is a spiritual being, rational, moral, and immortal in the body, not as a material substance, but as the organ of the soul and in the dominion over the lower creation. It is only in the virtue of the image of God in this broader sense that man, even after he has lost the image of God in the restricted sense, consisting in the true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, can still be called the image bearer of God. What Burkhoff is basically saying is the good that you see in us, these holy things, righteous things, are obviously because we're made in the image of God. And even after sin... This is how we know the image still remains. Mm -hmm. But it is obviously greatly affected. By um, our sin? Yeah, by our sin nature now. And this is where unsaved or bad people can still do good things. Exactly. It's that the the glimmer of God's image, even if they don't know it. So man, man in the covenant of works. The... Natural relationship between God and man was supplemented by a covenant relationship in which God made the future perfection and bliss contingent on the temporary obedience of man. This covenant is known as the covenant of works. Yes. Excuse so me. in the garden, prior to man's fall, God yeah. made a covenant with Adam saying, if you obey me and you do not eat of this tree, there will be blessings if you disobey me and you break the covenant there will be curses yep which is true of every covenant that god makes there are blessings if you obey and there are curses if you don't right so correct so the word covenant is not used in genesis but it is used in hosea where it says that like adam you know the people have transgressed the covenant mm-hmm and so, because we are all born in Adam, right? And so, O. Palmer Robertson actually calls this covenant the covenant of creation. And a lot of the really strict Westminster Presbyterians don't want to use any other word than covenant of works. But I really like what Robertson had to say because the reason why he used covenant of creation was because this covenant was made just on the basis of man being created by God, mm -hmm. and. This also is why every single person is still born under the covenant of works mm -hmm. or the covenant of creation because we're all created by God yep. and still owe God this obedience, obedience. and allegiance. Yeah. So I, I do like the covenant of creation too, but I understand why they use the covenant of works because obedience was required to then enter into this bliss and perfection that Burkhoff pointed to here. Mm -hmm. Um. Another argument that this is a covenant and that Adam is the covenant head for all humanity is found in Romans 5, verses 12 to 21. And Burkhoff has a super awesome quote, and he says, In connection with the imputation of sin on the one hand and the imputation of righteousness on the other hand can only be explained on the assumption that Adam, like Christ, was the head of a covenant. Mm-hmm. So, and there are 
a lot of differences, especially in Christian reform circles, as to the covenant of works. Like, how we how we want to view the covenant of works. Yeah. There's one right way, and it's our, it's our way of viewing it. <laughs> it's this episode <laughs> right now. It's the Presbyterian view. Exactly. All right. So then Burkhoff goes through the elements of the covenant of works, the first being the covenanting parties. So a covenant is always a compact between two parties, and in this case, it was between the triune God, who is the sovereign Lord of all creation, and the other party being man. So those are the two covenanting parties here. So then he goes into the promise of the covenant, which is the promise of life to the fullest, um, that basically life would be um, raised in the highest development of, of bliss and glory, then it goes into the condition of the covenant. Uh, the promise in the covenant of works uh, was not unconditional. Uh, the condition was of perfect, unconditional obedience. So the the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge mm-hmm. uh, was a pure test of obedience. Yeah. And with that, there's the absolute that this is what you're not supposed to do, and laid out simply that way. Okay. The penalty of the covenant. The penalty that was threatened in the case of transgression was death. In in the most inclusive sense of the word, physical, spiritual, and eternal. The fundamental idea of death is not that of extinction of being, so not like annihilationism, Mm -hmm. but that of separation from the source of life and the resulting disillusion of misery and woe. It consists in the separation of body and soul, but also, and this is even more fundamental, in the separation of the soul from God. Yeah. So if you disobey, the penalty is going to be death in every sense. Yeah. But not in an annihilation of, like, you don't remember anything. It's going to be conscious. Mm-hmm. It's going to be physical. It's going to be spiritual. Yeah. And you're being separated from the source, the source of-, of life, which is God. I really liked how he specified this because I can remember growing up and basically just be like, well, you would die. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's like, okay. And then like, as I, you know, obviously got older and like studying scripture and everything, I was like, huh, it seems like there's a little more to this than just like, you die. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a little more to death than that. But I think that a lot of people still like that. That's how they look at it. Well, and it's one of those doctrines that are constantly under fire to, like, the doctrine of hell. Yeah. And eternal damnation. Eternal right. conscious torment. Yeah. Separation. Nobody really wants to look at it that way. No, it's uncomfortable. So the last element of the covenant of works Burkhoff talks about is the sacraments of the covenant. Um, he says opinions vary a great deal respecting the sacrament or sacraments of the covenant of works. Though some speak of two, three, or even four, the most prevalent opinion is that the tree of life was the only sacrament. And I've, I've heard usually that there's two and that the two trees are the sacraments of the covenant of works because they both represented the blessing and cursing Mm -hmm. associated with obedience or disobedience. Which every covenant has a blessing and a curse. And so obviously obedience would then lead to the tree of life and that greater bliss and that state of perfection and that state of glory that God had in store for humans. Mm -hmm. Whereas 
eating of the tree of knowledge of good to evil, good and evil, represented the death, like you were just talking about, mm-hmm. associated with being separated from yeah. the source of life. So, I, I mean, I would land on two. Do you guys have any other? No, I, I would agree with two as well. No, yeah, yeah I would agree. So then Burkhoff goes to the present validity of the covenant of works. And we kind of already talked about how if we look at it as the covenant of creation, it makes sense that this covenant la- lasts till the end of history. Mm-hmm. He says that Arminians of the 17th century maintain the position that the covenant of works was wholly abrogated by the fall of Adam. So it didn't last very long to 17th century Arminians. That his descendants are entirely free from its obligations. In opposition to them, the Reformed took the position that it is partly a thing of the past and partly still in force. Uh, the sense in which it is not abrogated, demands for perfect obedience still holds. It means that it's still intact and still holds true today. Uh, the curse and punishment pronounced on these transgressors still apply to all those who continue in sin. So the command is still intact, and the punishment therein still remains intact as well. And the conditional promise is still in effect. Yeah. So basically, the status quo is still the status quo. Yeah. I mean, we still die, right? I mean, I don't know how you can say that. Last time I checked. If that is an effect, if that is an effect of breaking the covenant of works... I don't know how you could say that the covenant of works is well, no longer in effect. And to some extent, we need the covenant of works to still exist because that's exactly what Jesus came to fulfill, was the covenant yeah. of works. He is the one who was obedient in our stead. As the second Adam. As the second Adam. Yeah. So With the, perfect obedience. That federal headship only makes sense, really, if the covenant of works is somewhat still intact. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Um. The sense in which it is abrogated is this, the special obligations of this covenant have ceased for those who really live in the covenant of grace. This does not mean that these obligations are simply set aside and disregarded, but that they were met by the mediator for all his people. Moreover, the covenant of works is abrogated as in a pointed way or means to obtain eternal life, for as such it is powerless after the fall of man. So after man fell into sin Mm -hmm. they couldn't just be good enough right that was never going to happen again yeah romans 5 and first corinthians 15 are where paul really lays this out for us if you have any questions about covenant theology we love it and would love to answer it so listen this is why covenant theology is the gateway drug because once you start connecting all of the covenants and how all the covenants point to Jesus and how he fulfilled all of them, you will just be so psyched out. And it's like it just sucks you in and it makes mm-hmm. so much more sense of everything in scripture. Yeah. The connectivity of it all is just astounding. I really feel like, and I know this may be kind of elementary, but those pictures where you do connect all the dots, I feel like before covenant theology, it was like I connected every other dot. Yeah. And then once you did, you connected it all and you could see the whole picture. And it made everything simpler. That's the thing about yeah, covenant really theology. Does. You think, oh my goodness, I have to learn this like system of understanding scripture that sounds so dry and complicated. But honestly, it just is like the simplest thing ever. It's like learning the alphabet and imagine that now reading makes sense. Like 
you're trying to read prior to learning the alphabet, of course, it's going to be impossible or seem really hard. Yeah. But like just an elementary covenant theology is so basic, Mm -hmm. yet it makes so much more sense of everything else. It really is the gateway drug. I'm just saying, like, you dip your toe in it pretty pretty soon, you're jumping head first. Yeah. Pretty and, soon you're baptizing your baby. And it's all over scripture, too. I don't know why we ignore it. You know, covenanting is just such a foundational thing It's such thing a biblical scripture. word, yeah. But really, covenant theology. There are there's so some. many arguments over the covenant of works. There are so many arguments about covenant are, theology. There are some, well, this is true. But there are some that... that say that the covenant of works was still gracious because God God didn't owe any of that to man. He didn't owe Adam to create him. He didn't owe it to him to put him in a garden. And so some people would still say there's some graciousness there. And then other theologians get all up in arms that you use the word gracious at all. It's a strictly works covenant. There's nothing gracious about it. Grace came later. And I'm serious. This is where Presbyterians get the rap of fighting with each other all the time, though. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes Presbyterians can be overly nitpicky with words rather than thinking in principles sometimes. Thanks, Doug Wilson. Does that make sense? Yes. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we hope you come back next week. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check, one, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search, they say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark. State, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest Truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into Nicked Night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus.
wasn't for the spirit's mysterious operation uh -huh. We would all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said, let there be light Like Genesis 1, yeah And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause, it changes our natural habitation The situation, it's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted so my dirt was inexcusable with new internal pupils his person is beautiful his worth is indisputable the lamb is amazing a standing ovation for his work in the crucible so let us respond with true worship and love to the god who was given new birth from above